This morning, uh, we're going to get back to our series from Proverbs, Truth and Wisdom from Proverbs. Uh, I want to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We're in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And we started there by considering the first of seven things that God hates, that being haughty eyes. As I was uh, preparing the series, I felt the, uh, the idea of haughty eyes was something that needed a little extra attention, so I spent the whole sermon on that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, going forward, however, uh, I'm going to deal with the rest of everything in that passage today in our message. And then we will move on to some other Proverbs. But let's begin by reading uh, Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Hate. It's not a word to be used casually. We do, of course. We use it very casually. You know, I hate asparagus. (laughs) Or uh, I hate the cold. Or I hate sandburrs. Or in my case, I hate gophers. Uh, We are accustomed to rather being casual about the use of this word. and when we do, we don't, we're not really using the word as it's meant. Hate. It's one of those words that even sounds like itself. Hate. It's a word that carries in its essence terrible anger, absolute disgust. It is not a word one should use casually. Hate is a word that's it's very personal. It's a word that, that issues from deep inside. It's a word that it just isn't a standalone word out there. It comes from deep inside. And it's a word that's not just a description of feelings. Rather, it's a word that is a reaction It is a response to a cause. It is directly related not to what you feel, but what you know. Hate. When we read there are six things, yes, seven, that the Lord hates, we must realize that he hates these things because of what he knows. These things are an abomination to him because of what he knows. We're going to look briefly at each of these things this morning, these things that God hates, and then we're going to see 
what it is about them that God knows. And when we see and understand what God knows about these things, I think it's going to shake us to our core. I think it's going to cause us to cast off complacency about the idea of hate, especially these things. So before we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today desiring to understand more clearly how terrible this is in your eyes and why so that we when we understand what you know that it will drive us away from these things and cause us not to be complacent about them not to be unconcerned about them but to be watchful and careful that we do not fall into these things that you hate be with us now father as we study and may we honor you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God hates haughty eyes. Now, we talked at length of this uh, in our sermon a couple of weeks ago. But let me just reiterate a few things. The idea of haughty eyes is wrapped up in words like arrogance, disdain. Haughty eyes means that you look down on others. You have disdain for them. You see them as beneath you, unworthy of your attention or your concern. Haughty eyes is about an attitude of self-serving, self-absorbed approach to others. We noted that last week that one does not need to be uh, rich or famous or powerful, high up on the social ladder. You don't need to be any of those things to be able to look down on others. The poorest person in the world can have haughty eyes looking down and disdaining others. And in fact, those of us who profess to be followers of Christ can have, if we are not careful, haughty eyes. Thinking yourself to be more spiritual than someone else, more together, better at something that someone else is doing, thinking you know best and everyone ought to listen to you. When we have haughty eyes, we forget that we are sinners, saved only by the blood of Jesus. We are no better than anyone else. It's just that we have been saved by the grace of God and called to have an attitude, the attitude that Jesus had, which was that of a servant. He didn't look down on people. He looked over to them, reached out to them. He wanted to serve them. God hates haughty eyes. God hates a lying tongue. 
You remember the little taunt we used to say when we were kids? At least I remember this. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Anybody remember that? Am I the only person? <laughs> I didn't know for sure if that was just a southern Illinois thing or not. Anyone here like to be lied to? Think about this question. Do you like to be lied to? Of course we don't. We don't like to be lied to, and we should not lie because lying disrespects others. Lying is a self-serving attempt to manipulate others, to use them. Lying undermines our character. Lying mocks truth, disregards truth, and in fact attempts to destroy truth. So if you are a liar, maybe your pants aren't on fire, but how about your soul? If you are a liar, you are the exact opposite of God. For he is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You cannot follow the way if you're a liar. You cannot be of the truth if you're a liar. You cannot truly know life if you are a liar. God hates a lying tongue because of what he knows. And we'll get to that in a little bit. God hates hands that, are, that shed innocent blood. Now this is one where we all feel pretty safe, hopefully. We're not murderers. Of course God would hate this. And we hate it too, though for different reasons. We hate it because we are deeply grieved over the unfairness of it. There have been, there's been so much in the news lately about murder. Uh, the little five-year-old boy whose neighbor walked up to him in his yard and shot him in the head. The woman who was killed by her ex-husband while she was sitting in her car. The policeman gunned down by a rioter simply because he was there trying to do his job. The man shot by a policeman just because he was black. A child murdered by abortion before it had a chance to live its life. We're deeply grieved by all of this. And we think we understand why God hates it. And we do, in part. But God hates a murderer because of what he knows. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Now, being emotional creatures, as we are, there are times when we are overcome by our emotions and we say or we do things that we didn't really intend to say or do. And usually, 
we're sorry for it. We're sorry for our reaction, and we, we wish we could just take it back. It's part of being human. That's not saying it's okay, but we know it happens. But this is not what's being talked about. It's one thing to react, and it's another thing to plan. If I might use a simplistic illustration, up the street from us there in Fargo, there's a, a couple there, they have chickens. Now, forget that it's against town code to have farm animals in town. They have chickens and they have geese and they did have a few ducks. Not only do they have them, they let them free range. They're all over the place. So one day, uh, these chickens and geese and duck were on our porch pooping everywhere. <laughs> I reacted. I uh, went outside and I chased them off and tried to chase them back to where they belonged, or at least where they were. They didn't belong there, but where they came from. That's, a, that's an emotional reaction. But what if I decided to plan something? What if I got on the internet and looked up and tried to find out exactly what would be the best kind of poison if I wanted to get rid of chickens and such. And what if I carefully observed my neighbors to, f to figure out when they were going to be gone? And what if one night in the darkness I slipped over there and sprinkled this poison into the food pans of these creatures? And the next morning they're all lying around on the ground did. And that's a simplistic illustration, but that's the difference between a reaction and devising evil plans. Some words come to mind. Devious, scheming, conniving. And what's interesting is such people are often totally different in their representation of themselves to others. For instance, they may act like they are your friend when what they are actually plotting is to undermine you. Or worse, destroy you. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. He hates it because of what he knows. God hates feet that run rapidly to evil. You've probably heard the, the phrase mob mentality. It describes people who join into something destructive without serious thought as to the significance or consequences either for themselves or for others. They're not thinking for themselves. They totally set aside any intellectual or moral truth 
to be a part of something destructive. Why? Because they falsely believe that it gives them power. They falsely believe that it justifies themselves. When in fact, it is an act of evil self-destruction at the expense of the innocent. God hates those who run rapidly to evil because of what he knows. God hates a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among his brothers. Now I put these two together because they're very intertwined. When, when we think of uh, sinful actions, typically we think of the really bad and terrible sins. Those are the things that come to our mind. But in almost any list of sins that you find in the Bible, right there in the middle of those awful, terrible sins, you'll find slander, gossip, false witness. In other words, lies about people designed to destroy them. It's a sin just as ugly, just as terrible as the worst sin you can think of. And it's so fundamental that we understand it that right there in the Ten Commandments, it's right there. Do not bear false witness. What happens when there is slander, gossip, false witness? It creates strife among people. It destroys reputations in the eyes of people. It tears people down. It hurts them. It causes grief. It causes despair. And in some cases, it can even cause suicide. And how many churches have been destroyed by slander, gossip, false witness? God hates a false witness and those who spread strife because of what he knows. So, now... What is it that God knows? What is it that causes him to hate these seven things? What is it that he knows that causes all of this to be an abomination in his eyes? Two things. First is the consequences. Every sin, whether we think of them as big or small, every one, in one way or another, are derived from these seven things. 
Out of these things that we've just talked about come the vilest, most despicable actions and thoughts of mankind. They are springs which water the darkest side of our nature. These are the beginnings of every evil we know in the world. These seven things. God hates these seven things because he knows they open the path, the path of sinfulness that lead us away from him. God hates these things because he knows they are the opposite of who he is and what he wants for us. But there's a second thing God knows. And this is the thing which I said at the beginning if we understand it, it should shake us to our core. It should force us out of our complacency. What is it? What is it that God knows? These seven things God hates that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies about others, one who spreads strife among others. This is not just a list. This is a picture. It is a description. It is the essence and the character of someone And that someone is Satan. The Bible says he defies God. He is a liar, the father of lies. He is a deceiver. He is an accuser. He is a tempter. He is a murderer. He is evil in his essence and not just his actions. That's what God knows. What then is the message to us? If these things are the essence of Satan, for us to do these things, it's not just making a misstep. It's not just being human. To do these things is to be like him. It's to be like Satan. Because all of this is a description of him. Who among us wants to be like Satan? In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to people who will not believe that he is from God. And they accuse him of being a demon. And here's what he says. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
I said in the beginning, when we understand what God knows about these seven things and why he hates them, it should shake us to our core. It should force us out of any complacency that we have about any of those things. Because first of all, every other sin comes out of all of that. And secondly, and more importantly, it is a picture of a person. And that person is Satan, our enemy. And the question is, does it? Does it shake you to your core? Does, you make, does it make you reconsider any complacency that you have about any of this? One of my words to grow by, I know I've shared this with you before, but it goes right along with this. It's called dance. The music plays for the dance of life, a song from the heart of God. With rich chords and rhythm strong, it calls each of us onto the floor. The dance cannot be done alone, though some may think it's so. It requires a partner or there can be no dance at all. God has given us a partner one who knows each step, each turn, who knows the timing well. He leads with perfect love those who cling to his gentle arms. The partner's hands are stained with blood from wounds which love has made. And the music of the dance of life is written with that crimson flow. There is another who would dance with us who would lead us across the floor. He too has blood-stained hands, though the blood is not his own. For he is a murderer and was from the beginning a liar who plays a part. Come dance, he sings, and dance he does to music so alluring and many there are who turn their heads, for his dance seems good and filled with life. But he is a liar, and too late they find his dance is the dance of death. The music plays, and we must dance. There is no standing to the side. One dance is life, the other death. We cannot dance with both. The music plays, and dance we must. But with whom will we dance? With whom will we dance?